Hey, what's up? Uh, this is the Cash PT Lunch Hour, your host, Aaron LeBauer, and welcome back to the show. Today, my special guest is Molly Parker. Um, I've been following Molly for a long time. She may or may not know that, but she is an expert in concussion management and has struggled with it herself. And I've seen her post. And at one point I said, hey, can I get you on the show? She's not doing well enough right now. Um, I've also had uh, issues uh, waking up in the middle of Iowa and not knowing why I was in Iowa. So I wanted to bring Molly on the show because uh, I think her message is important and the way that she's sharing with people is um, incredible. So thank you, Molly, for being here and spending time with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you might not know, I, I used to race bikes. I did not know that. Yeah, you know, I used to race bikes. I was a pro-am level. I almost made it as a, in quotes, pro. Oh, really? But pro at that time meant you got like $250 a month in your gear. Right. <laughs> you know, <and> top <laughs> amateur level meant you might have gotten $250 a month or more and you got some gear or not, uh, but you had to be under a certain age. Right. That being said, um, my sob story was I never made it as a pro, but I got to tour the U.S., and I, was, I woke up one day in an ambulance and I knew I was at a bike race. My buddy was like, Aaron, do you know where we are? And I was like, no. I was like, he's like, we're in Iowa. I was like, why the fuck are we in Iowa? I was like, I had no idea why we were in Iowa. So uh -huh. I, had, I, 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 rang, I rang my bell pretty good. I hit the ground going like 40 miles an hour in a pack of guys racing bikes. Wow. Um, but I got lucky because the only, my only bad symptoms were, I couldn't remember where the dishes were when I got back to San Francisco three months later. Uh -huh. And I didn't race for a few weeks. Okay. So I want to say I, I got, I got lucky. I didn't suffer with my, any like other long-term things other than maybe my personality, my personality didn't change. I know people with TBIs and concussions <laughs> change. Yeah. Um, I'm just the way I am, but I, I, I share that because that brought me, it, it was, I was watching you share what was going on with you. Mm -hmm. I was like, Holy cow. I got really lucky because I hit my head really, really hard and people uh -huh. don't even have to hit their head hard to have yeah. symptoms. So can you just share like a little bit about, um, you know, like maybe we can get deeper into it, but briefly, like what happened with you and how'd you get you? Cause you're a physical therapist and mm -hmm. how'd you get on this track of treating people with concussions or like what, what happened? What, what was your story? Yeah. I mean, it was really one of those stories where I had my life all planned out and life had other plans. And it's been this journey of adapting and kind of building something new from it. But really I was a physical therapist. I had, you know, my dream job. I had this small, you know, outpatient clinic. I had 40 minutes per patient and that's not one of those jobs you want to let go of. And I'd gone out with friends one night and we were leaving a nightclub and a cab driver fell asleep at the wheel and he went onto the sidewalk and it was really, really crowded. And I was about 15 feet in, but since he was sleeping, he just started going through the crowd without stopping. Wow. So I saw it coming and had turned to run, wasn't quite quick enough. So I ended up with kind of a torsional injury because I was twisting as I hit the windshield and he stopped once he hit the building. And then I remember getting off the hood of the car, immediately thinking, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then grabbing the back of my head and I had this huge bump, but there was no blood and thinking to myself, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay. There was a woman pinned between the building and the car and I stopped to help her. And I think adrenaline's still going, you know. And then as ambulances started coming, uh, one of my friends had a broken nose. So we went to the bathroom to wow. kind of clean her up and I forgot everything that happened. It was like you, it was like, I, she said, I looked at them and I was like, did something bad happen? And I remember feeling like I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite remember what it was. 
and I wasn't totally sure where we were. I knew the city, but I just didn't know like what building I was in. Mm -hmm. um, I remembered my name. And so they made me go to the ER. And at the time I was really pissed because I had all these student loans and I was like, I can't <laughs> pay for a trip to the ER. Yeah. Like at least let me have someone take me like the ambulance alone is going to cost so much. And so I was mad and um, got there, had a CT scan. I was fine. X-rayed my legs. I had like the bumper imprinted on my hip um, and that was fine. And I walked out feeling really lucky. Mm -hmm. um, went back to work. I missed a day again, feeling really lucky. I felt very much like I got hit by a car. Um, but past that, you know, I was a fairly new grad and we didn't have any concussion in grad school. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you did. I finished in 2010. Mm -mm. Um, my accident was in 2011 and we had nothing on concussions. So I thought they just went away. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, knowing what I know now, it's such a different story. But so I, you know, I had a pack in my paperwork that said you had a concussion, maybe go see a doctor, followed up with a doctor. Everyone thought things were fine. Um, and at the time when looking back, I was very cognitively compromised. Mm -hmm. Like I was not making good choices. I was working through it. I was pushing through it. I started to get more and more severe symptoms. The symptoms started to get worse. Like what kind of symptoms? Uh, a headache was the biggest one where I would get like this severe, severe headache that would be unrelenting. And just as I was about to, you know, do something about it, it'd go away for like a couple of days and I'd mm -hmm. think I'm fine. And then eventually it didn't go away at all. And that stayed for probably like five years. Um, and then I started to get this weird weakness on the left side of my body, like this weird pain. I started to cognitively get real foggy and off. I stopped being able to remember things enough where I, like I could chart a patient a week later and tell you exactly what we did. And yeah. I started to have to write stuff down. I couldn't remember stuff within eval. If you would have asked me to hold like one plus one in my head and then add three to it, I couldn't, like I couldn't mm -hmm. hold things in my head for that long. And then I started having these instances where I'd be in my house and it was almost like I came to from sleepwalking and all the kitchen cupboards would be open and my trash would be out. My heat pad was in the trash, which I used all the time because I was in so much pain and I knew I'd done it, but I had zero recollection of doing yeah. it. And so I would just go through like, what's my name? Like, where do I live? And I'd have to convince myself that I was in the city I was in. Um, and then I'd forget the date most of the time. Um, and then it just started this process of going for help. No one knew what to do, sleeping with a day planner by my bed because I didn't know what day it was, wearing the same pants to work for like three days in a row because I couldn't physically have the energy to change it. Mm -hmm. I would go to work and kind of be on autopilot and then I'd go home and I wouldn't be able to feed myself. I could hardly dress myself. My left side started to get weak to the point where you could physically see the atrophy yeah. from one side Was it to the because other. you were hurting so much that you couldn't do those things or because your brain wasn't allowing you to like kind of get through those processes? I think it was a combination of things looking back. I had dysautonomia and I had blood flow issues. So I mm -hmm. don't think I was getting proper blood flow to the brain. Well, I know I wasn't. I had exercise intolerance, yeah. um, which basically, you know, I went on a run, doubled over in pain, not knowing what I know now that that's exercise intolerance. We treat yeah. it really easily with a sub-symptom exercise program. I didn't know that. Um, and then I started to get a lot of pain. So that kind of didn't help. And then I started to have a lot of vestibular and visual issues. So I started to develop some sensory motor stuff. Yeah. And I think all of those together kind of created this left-sided what ended up being a sensory motor disorder in the long mm -hmm. run. But yeah. And eventually, you know, I kept pushing through it. No one knew what to do. Everyone like, kept telling me. Did it was you go see physicians, P 
PTs, other people. Under the sun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I eventually I started to look like this red flag patient because I'd seen so many people, but really mm-hmm. what it was, was I was seeing someone, I would do what they asked or they didn't have any input whatsoever. I'd try more. I was still barely able to function. So I'd go to someone else and mm-hmm. try, you know, and no one knew what to do. About two years in, I ended up losing my job, which was the worst day of my life. And I had this major existential crisis because I'd worked since I was 12 and I felt all the things about not being employed, Um, went home, slept for 16 hours a day, uh, felt a little bit better, went back to home health, crashed again. And then about three years, everything went from bad to worse. And I ended up bed bound for the most part. I could barely stand up. I could barely speak. I couldn't remember my words. Um, I couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't drive. My whole left side was so bad. I could barely physically be touched. Mm -hmm. Um, It had atrophied. It shook all the time. Um, I had like what was kind of under the umbrella dystonia of dystonia, but it was more of a sensory motor disorder. Um, and then I was told at four years, like, this is it. You're bed bound, you're disabled. I was deemed permanently disabled and they kind of was like, yeah. And so wow. I had moved home to Washington. My mom took care of me. I could barely dress myself at that point. I could barely stand up at that point. How and long ago like, was that? This was five years ago. Okay. And so she, you know, she'd make me my meals and then we like just kept trying. Like we kept knocking on doors because I was like, this is a functional injury. Like that's what I do. And I know that like there has to be some way we can start to retrain this stuff. Um, And around that time, I heard of one other person like me. I'd never heard of anyone else with post-concussion syndrome Mm -hmm. um, or what we call like prolonged or persistent concussion symptoms now. And then I started to meet people who knew what was up and then they yeah. met, introduced me to people who knew and we slowly started to unravel all these things. And by that time I was this massively complicated case, <laughs> even though I didn't start out that way. Right. Um, cut to five years, I've probably improved 80% like symptom wise. And I'm very much working on my stamina at this point. So we're trying to get my systems to integrate again so I can not be so exhausted throughout right. the day. Um, cause I'm still getting like 20% of a day. So I'm having to wow. be like crazy intentional with my time and still fit in rehab. And mm-hmm. it's been a journey. Yeah. That's not the least. Yeah. You didn't have, uh, did you have like sensitivity to light and sound? Mildly. And I had a little sensitivity to sound like midway through, particularly where like yeah. loud noises, I would almost get like this PTSD response yeah. and like, like freak out. Um, and then mild light sensitivity, but then pretty much every other yeah. symptom. My personality changes pretty significantly. Yeah. And yeah. Anything specific you could share? Like, do you sure. remember or no? It like, started with crying incessantly yeah. for no particular reason. So it would be crying easily or crying when I wasn't upset at all, which I call, do you ever see those Danny Glover commercials <laughs> for like the yeah. pseudo-bulver affect where he's like fake laughing yeah. and crying? So I call it my regular crying and then Danny Glover crying. Right. You're crying, but you're not actually upset. Yeah. Um, so I had that for like two or three years pretty significantly. And then about the three-year point when everything crashed, I developed like severe like apathy in this embodiment. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like I was still alive. I felt like I was like a body that looked like me, but anything that made me human or connected me to myself or to other people or to the world was gone. Yeah. Like. I now believe like your soul is in your brain because it felt like every part of me didn't exist. It was bizarre. And you remember, you would remember how you would have related mm-hmm. to people, but I didn't feel it like at yeah. all. 
Um, and then as I started to come out of that, I had a little bit of rage burst, which I'm like a very even killed person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you seem pretty. Yeah, yeah, so that was unsettling at yeah. best. Um, and then about five years, I just, I kind of came back to myself and now my personality is for the most part mine. Yeah. Was <laughs> it like one day, like things clicked or uh, we can get was, back I, into the rehab stuff, but was I went into the rehab. I was doing like some cognitive rehab. Yeah. And I don't know what it was, but something like with all that stuff and I was doing a little cognitive, a little vision and it just kind of like clicked back on. Yeah. And like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like, I remember for me, it was, they let me out of the hospital. I think they did a CT scan or something, mm -hmm. but they let me go. And yeah. like, you were like, they shouldn't have let you go and let you go to sleep that night. You know, like they should have yeah. watched you. But they well, let you me go sleep now. Oh Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can, well, it depends on how old you are and when the accident was. So we want people up for maybe like four hours, okay. but then through the night, they can sleep through the night and they okay. don't need to be woken up. Yeah. This but was, you want to check on them and make sure they're not. Right. Deterred. So this was 2006. Was it 2006? Mm -hmm. No, 2000 and I'm trying to <laughs> remember, uh, 2001, I was trying to just like right after I met my wife or the wife, so 2001. Mm -hmm. And like I came home and I was just putting dishes away and I was putting like the bowls in the cupboard with the, where the glasses were, but I had been in yeah. that house for seven years. Yeah. You know, and I'd go to the wrong thing to, you know, like everything, like they, they didn't like make me stay. It seemed everything was right. My hip hurt the most from falling, like mm -hmm. hitting my bike. That's so why I couldn't race the next day, but I kept training and I was fine. I didn't have anything else, but it was just like, I was like, wow, I, I guess I did ring my bell pretty good. Mm -hmm. and but uh, and a couple other things happened and then you know and then I was like whatever but then um I saw some of the stuff you posted and worked with the, another uh friend who was a boxer and uh -huh. got hit a couple of times and he fell snowboarding and he had to wear sunglasses to work and he couldn't see for like a month and yeah really it's tough awful. and he, he struggled with it but and at the same time like with, with my myself and him it's like that wasn't anything to what from what you've been through and some other people i know who've really had struggles so mm -hmm. from the research that you've done and the information you've gathered is there like an explanation why like someone's gonna just like lose consciousness for 30 seconds some people are gonna mm -hmm. lose a little bit of memory and other people are gonna have like these behavioral and sensory and uh you know like motor changes yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where we don't totally know. And so for people who are unfamiliar with concussions, you can have different types of concussions. So we have six to seven, what we call phenotypes, which you can mm -hmm. think of like trajectories. And it's basically talking about the symptoms and the area that's affected. So it could be like cognitive, it could be vision, it could be vestibular. Um, but as to why some people fall into that category and why they don't, we're not sure. We do know that the sooner we get people in, and the sooner we get people like properly educated and treated, that decreases their odds of an extended recovery. Mm -hmm. um, there is some, particularly like their initial symptom score is a good predictor. Um, if people are experiencing something like dizziness right away, those people tend to go into a more prolonged recovery. Um, there was also, and we're, we're in the midst of it, is right now, women and girls tend to have longer recoveries than boys mm -hmm. um whether that's something due to male versus female or in the time that they get in and receive care we're not sure yet so women um, have longer recovery than men mm -hmm. wow okay yeah particularly like adolescent girls and women over 40. Mm -hmm. um but we're not sure why you know there's some 
theories is it you know is it hormones is it you know the length of the neck so they're getting more force like a longer lever arm with acceleration deacceleration um are they reporting it more you know those mm -hmm. kind of things um but we're not really sure because then other studies come up and say hey but when we match these people by gender and we get them in at the same time they tend to recover the same so yeah. that's kind of an up in the air okay um but the one important thing to know is that symptom severity doesn't predict or uh, severity of the injury doesn't predict a prolonged mm -hmm. outcome. So if you have patients, whether they've had a big accident or just this small hit where they're having symptoms, um, both need to be taken seriously because we can't predict which one of those people just with that blown would right. have extended cases. Yeah. I, I mean, I know someone else who like got rear-ended, but didn't really think that much happened. And like mm -hmm. she's suffering for years with uh, more vestibular type of issues and, and yeah. light sensitivity. And it's like, I didn't even lose consciousness. Yeah. Well, only 10% of concussions lose consciousness. Really? So that's like, wow. so we'll still get folks going into their doctors and they're like, well, you didn't lose consciousness. You're fine. Mm -hmm. And then they come see us and we're like, no, no, no. It doesn't matter if you lost consciousness or not. It still needs to be treated properly and taken seriously and can absolutely still, of course, be a concussion. So. Wow. What, besides like, car accident falling off your bike and mm -hmm. football <laughs> what are the, which are like my story is bike and like a lot of people get into car accidents because the, uh -huh. the you know it's a car accident and football is a big one right and they're wearing helmets mm -hmm. what are the other major um modes of injury that people are experiencing you know or like uh common or maybe we might not uh think about yeah most common is falls um, mm. so it's like slip and fall in the bathroom, slip and fall in ice. Um, I have a lot of people with just weird fall stories. Yeah. Um, and then it's things like motor vehicle accidents, um, assaults and like domestic battery, that mm. kind of thing. Sports, I think is eighth on the list. It's right. not even, you know, it's not as high up. It gets a lot of attention. Um, and now I'm blanking on other causes, yeah. but yeah, it's mostly like falls, motor vehicle accidents, um, abuse sports. Yeah. Are the... Guys from the military come back with like TBIs or yeah. those concussions, like post-concussive stuff, or is that like, and, and I guess maybe as I ask that question, can you explain the difference between like what concussion versus a traumatic brain injury? Because they're both brain injuries. Yeah. So a concussion is a type of traumatic brain injury. Yeah. And we typically kind of thought of brain injuries when we graded them, you know, we'd use that Glasgow coma scale and that would give us this mild, moderate to severe um, and what we know now is that the pathophysiology we see behind a severe concussion and a mild concussion, or a mild, sorry, a severe brain injury <laughs> and a mild brain injury, what we'd also call a concussion, is completely different. So in a severe TBI, you're looking more at structural injuries, but concussions are much more functional. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the big difference there. And then for concussion versus post-concussion syndrome, there is an acute uh, pathology that takes place that lasts about three to four weeks. And then once that's done, that acute concussion is over. But when we see folks that have symptoms that persist along that four week time span, now we put them into this category of either prolonged concussion symptoms, or you'll hear it in the literature too as post-concussion syndrome. Um, so what they are experiencing from a pathophysiological standpoint is different than an acute concussion. Mm -hmm. um, and then just to make that more complicated, now we're looking at, you brought up military, our blast injuries a little bit different. Yeah. So we're kind of starting to 
delve into a little bit more of like mechanism of injuries and how that makes a difference. You know, is a blast injury, how is that different from a sports injury and, you know, things like that. Right. But yeah. As a, as a clinician, cause there's a lot of people out listening that you know, are still practicing or clinicians, uh -huh. like what's the number one thing or two things we need to think about or identify or whether we need to screen for, but like to think about when someone if, if someone, is there something that our patients might say to us, like they're having some kind of symptom or the way they may act, we think like, okay, the fall wasn't just an ACL, you also hit your head and we need mm -hmm. to deal with that too. Is there yeah. something you can help us identify how yeah. we go down that path too? That's a great question. Cause I mean, you might get these acute patients that are like kind of obvious. And of course you're ruling out red flags and then you're guiding them through like this mm -hmm. return to learn and return to play process. But when you have people who are a little further out, and maybe they've had an ACL tear, maybe they had like a fall and you're treating their hip and you're going through their history should be your first key. Um, was there a mechanism of injury that could have caused a concussion for this person? And then things you're listening for um, would be like, you know, I just feel a little off. Like maybe I, so we go through kind of those six to seven trajectories and things in those categories. So if you're cognitive, it might be like, oh, I'm having a hard time with attention. I feel all ADD. I feel foggy. I feel kind of off. Or if they were vestibular, they might be like, you know, I feel like I'm falling all the time. Or a lot of people with concussion, they can't quite put their finger on it, but they just feel funky. They feel off. They don't feel normal in space. Mm -hmm. um, or it might be, you know, like the typical memory stuff. Vision-wise, in particular with PT, how we process what comes in through the visual system very much affects our movement. Um, so if you have someone who's having some sort of, you know, unexplained weakness or tremors or involuntary movement, or it's just kind of funky and it's not strengthening and you can't quite figure out why, um, that would be kind of one of those undercover things. Anything visual, they're having a hard time watching TV, they're having a hard time reading, um, they're having a hard time reading their exercise program and comprehending it all those kind of things should be like little bells of does this person have some post-concussive stuff going on too? And is that in my scope of practice or who mm -hmm. else do I need to work with? Right. What, um, if, if someone's like, well, I need to send this out to somebody else. Like, mm -hmm. I guess, I guess my first part of that is what are the one or two like easy low hanging fruit treatment strategies that we might uh, know but we didn't learn to help treat concussions, but I probably learned it for something else like balance vestibular. You know I mean? I'm sure yeah. there's, they exist. And then, you know, can you just share like, what are those kind of things to start people? And then, okay. And then let's talk about like, if someone really like is having problems, how do we find someone to, you know, send them to, or where do we go to learn the information ourselves? Yeah. So yeah. the low hanging fruit is, a lot of physical therapists have a huge role in concussion recovery, right? Um, and a lot of the pieces that we do, we already know, we just don't know how to put them together or to hear and understand that that's concussion related and how mm -hmm. we do it. Uh, one of the biggest ones is if you've had a concussion, you've probably had an injury to your neck, just given the mechanism of injury. Mm -hmm. We know that the cervical spine can very much mimic symptoms of concussion. Um, so as a PT, screening and evaluating the neck to rule that out is probably like your first big low hanging fruit because the neck can cause, you know, headaches and dizziness and all these symptoms that we might be perceived as mm -hmm. something else. That's a real easy peasy. Um, another one for physical therapists in particular would be like, yeah, every time I exercise, I get a headache. Every time my heart rate goes up, I feel funky. That is exercise intolerance. That is in our wheelhouse. There is mm -hmm. so much good research from John Leedy out of um, Buffalo 
It's L-E-D-D-Y. I always forget if it's Levy or Letty. Um, so he can forgive me if I mispronounce yeah. <laughs> his name. Um, but that's a really easy, yeah. you know, test and treadmill or bike program. So those kind of things are really easy for PTs to kind of evaluate. And then as far as, okay, who then treats these symptoms, you're looking to figure out what kind of symptoms they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So kind of figure out the category. Is it more cognitive? Is it more visual? Is it more vestibular? Um, is it more cervical? Are they having mood things? Um, or could it be like they're having um, kind of their autonomics or their blood flow? Yeah. And based on what category or categories they fall into, that's how you make your referral. Um, a really, really common place to start is most people have visual issues and that is treated by neuro developmental optometry. So mm -hmm. it's really common in the concussion world. We see PT and neuro optometry. So what is that hero neuro optometry? Uh, neuro developmental optometry. Okay. You'll also hear it called behavioral optometry, okay. but that would be an easy one. You, if for us people, you go to www.locate.cobd.org and it'll show yeah. up. There's not that many of them. It'll show up who's in your area and that's your super easy okay. referral. Okay. Um, and the other things would be like, if you felt like it was more vestibular or balance, or you just didn't feel like concussion was in your wheelhouse, you're looking for a physical therapist with current and advanced training in concussion in your area that you can start referring to. Right, right on, awesome. But would you pretty much say that, or, or in what case would a physical therapist not be the best person to send you to if they, you know I mean? Is there anything mm -hmm. in here that we need to actually have a, um, a neurologist or some you know, optometrist, somebody else, like just kind of screen for for other issues, or and if they if those are negative, is it really the domain of a physical therapist to get people back from concussions, or is uh, there some are there some other combination of people that would be best? It really depends on best treatment for each individual is going to depend on what types of concussion they're experiencing, so what types of trajectory they're in physical therapists are very commonly involved because it's rare mm -hmm. that we don't have someone with some sort of neck or some sort of vestibular or something yeah. like that. As far as ruling things out, if you're seeing any red flags that you're concerned about, absolutely refer to a neurologist. They're going to be yeah. the person that does any imaging if it's warranted. Um, MRIs themselves do not show concussions, but if you're worried about a brain bleed or you're worried about maybe a fracture that was missed, that would be kind of your referral or if there's any medication that they mm -hmm. would need to get on. Um, if there's someone who maybe they're, you know, they're having double and blurry vision and they have a lot of light sensitivity and they're not tolerating PT at all, that would be someone that would start with neurodevelopmental yeah. optometry okay. or perhaps they had a major like, um, emotional components. Maybe they would start off with a psychologist as well. Um, and you can just see some people do well with kind of like the one off and then we layer in and other people do well with a little more of a team approach to start. It really depends on how well they're tolerating treatment, what their symptoms are and how they're progressing. Right on. So going back to what happened to you, mm -hmm. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> okay, I think it, you'd move back home, right? Mm -hmm. And the last time prior to scheduling this podcast, I talked to you and I think you were messaged you and you were saying, Hey, you're moving up to Canada. Yeah. yeah some treatment so can you talk us through like what so you you had been trying a lot of different things nothing's working you're living at mm -hmm. home who did you find in canada what what did you do and what helped you kind of get up to the next level or start making forward progress again 
Yeah, I started making forward progress kind of around five years. I started to get into a little vision, started to get a little of the vestibular ruled out. I started to get some of my cognitive stuff better. Then I hit this plateau and then I found reactive physical therapy in LA who they mm -hmm. do sensory motor, sensory motor disorders and like any neuro stuff, they're insanely good. Yeah. Um, Is so that, that Julie helped. Hirschberg? And, uh -huh. yeah. 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 Aaron, they're, I know, they're awesome. They're wonderful. Yeah. And they're just like these powerhouses. So they helped me tremendously. And then that kind of opened the door to treat all these other things because I was shaking incessantly in every muscle in my body. So it was really hard to train my neck or to train my vision when it shook. Um, so that opened a lot of doors. Then I started seeing um, what's called in the concussion world, it's functional neurology training. And I think their name kind of does them a little injustice. It's really just applied clinical neuroscience. Uh -huh. um, and so they're looking at more deeper pathways in the brain and how do we retrain that. So I responded really well to that kind of treatment with, for like what we call dysautonomia. I had something called POTS. Um, that helped significantly. Then it got to the point where I was totally out of money and mm -hmm. I was progressing when I was in rehab, but there wasn't really any in Spokane where I was living. And so I have a good friend and, you know, who's now my business partner, who's this phenomenal concussion physical therapist up on Vancouver Island. She's like, why don't you just come up here and I'll treat you for free and we'll get it squared away. Okay. So I moved to Vancouver Island like a month wow. later, still here now, um, being treated by her. We're doing a lot of my return to aerobic exercise, which after years and years and years of trying is going fantastic. Um, we're starting to integrate a lot of like my neck with my eyes, with my jaw, with my vision. Um, and that's been tremendously helpful. And so we're just kind of working through that now. And she's fantastic. And so awesome. that's what I'm doing at the moment. Awesome. So you ran out of money. So insurance didn't cover all this stuff. Oh God, no. Insurance <laughs> is a nightmare. And insurance will cover like some of the PT or maybe like a psych or a neurologist visit. But things like vision therapy, which most people need, isn't covered. Like all like naturopaths, there's hormonal changes that can occur after concussion. A lot of it is out of pocket. Yeah. So were they just like, oh yeah, we don't pay to get you back to normal? Or were they- Pretty I mean, much. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of concussion stuff too, people are just kind of blown off. It's not like you have a stroke and people really work with you to get rehab. It's kind of like, you're fine. Why aren't you better? Is it really that bad? Right. And so you're having to not only- rehab but then you're having to advocate yourself when you lack the language to do it to begin with and it just and people just get buried yeah that's crazy well mm -hmm. it wouldn't be uh the cash pt lunch hour without hitting <laughs> taking a shot at the insurance companies <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a nightmare for a but, lot of folks yeah no I, I can't imagine i mean i think it's it's fun it's well that, that's not the point of the show, but it's right now. But it is, it's unfortunate to hear you say, I'm in recovery and I'm getting better, but I ran out of money. Mm -hmm. And know? I was fortunate. I, my accident, Crazy. it was his fault. Um, and he was very poorly insured and he hit like 20 people. But I had mm. in, insured insurance. I had uninsured driver. And so for the first three years, I was like, I remember distinctly like sitting around a pile of medical bills, like sobbing and calling my lawyer and getting switched to a female lawyer after that. Um, and just not knowing what to do. And the stress of the finance was so heavy that yeah. it was just like, you were doing so much of your own case management and so much of the financial part that it really made it hard. And then you had to manage like multiple professions by yourself with a brain injury. 
Um, and you can see how people can get stuck in these cycles really, really easily. And then about three years, I ended up getting a little bit of money from that, which I very, used very frugally. And so mm -hmm. I was able to stretch it out um, for a while. But I'm like the fortunate one. I'm the person yeah. that at least they got to keep trying. Right. Um, whereas a lot of people, they run out and that's kind of it. Yeah. No wonder it's you're gonna, the, the common thought is that, oh, this is just the way it's going to be. Because mm -hmm. most people probably can't, you know, get to a point where they stop advocating for themselves. They don't know. They... They're just mm -hmm. like, I'm sick and tired of trying. Like, okay, I guess this is what it's going to be. Yeah. Which and sucks. it's not true, which drives me crazy. Because, yeah. like, oh, they said this is as good as it's going to get. And I asked them what they've done. They're like, well, I saw a PT who didn't really know what they were doing. And the psychologist, and that's it. I'm like, yeah. oh. Yeah, I rode a bike. <laughs> because there's so many, like, things that are available to help. Yeah. And it's just having people become aware that they yeah. don't have to live like that. So when did you get to the point at which you were able to um, do more than just like rehab and rest, like, and start getting back to doing some work in, in education and uh, advocacy stuff? Pretty recently, I started doing some lecturing about halfway through my recovery, just because, and I was almost like getting towards my worst at that point, but it bothered me so much that some of this was going to happen to someone else just because they didn't have the information. Mm -hmm. um, so I did some lecturing at St. Augustine where I went to grad school. And then about two and a half years ago, I was in a place where I was not well at all. And I was still having a hard time. I was just living independently. And I was really feeling like this massive loss of identity and this massive loss of purpose. And also I'd never really lost my drive. Like I never lost my drive. I never lost my motivation. I've always wanted to do things. I just mm -hmm. physically couldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, well, maybe social media would be a way that I can reach people and it's small and bite sized And if I stop, it's not a big deal. And because at that time, my movement disorder, my jaw was horrific. My eyes were terrible. I had horrible dysautonomia, so I couldn't stand. I couldn't speak. I couldn't do anything physical. And I remember thinking like, how the hell am I going to ever make a living again? And feeling mm -hmm. like I was a burden to everyone around me and experiencing, um, the disability system in the States is awful. Um, people's perception of what disability is and what that process is and what that is like for people is almost always inaccurate. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm having these healthy people make these political decisions that affect my day to day that aren't even based on an accurate narrative. Um, and most people are very emotionally attached to that. I'm like, I have where I cannot physically hold down a job in any capacity, whether it's PT or not. And it was kind of like, what am I going to do? And right. so I started doing social media because I'm like, I can't stand that people don't have this whatever. And maybe I can turn this into something that I can actually physically do if I mm -hmm. have a little more control over it. And so I started seven months early, like just learning some stuff. I remember hearing you actually one time, I don't know if I ever told uh -huh. you this. I was listening to Lewis Howes' inner circle like yeah. three years ago and he was like doing something and like you were asking a question <laughs> and I think I started following you after that um and I was like well he seems cool um so I learned kind of from like most of the free stuff and like one of those courses and then I spent seven months starting to prep Instagram posts because mm -hmm. I was so far gone that it would take me a whole day to maybe like do a video Wow. But it was like two minutes of talking and I would be like disheveled and sweating and like wrecked. But, and I didn't know what I was doing, but my sister's like, no one wants to see the girl who looks perfect when 
they feel like shit. So just right. put it out there. I'm like, okay. Yeah. At that point, I had nothing left to lose. So I was like, I'm too exhausted to care. <laughs> so we're just going to put it out there. Um, and then that's turned into like one of the best things I've ever done. Like social media has been like such a good platform for people that have like limited capacities or any mm-hmm. sort of like disability type stuff. I've connected to this great group of people, the information starting to get out there. Um, I definitely can't do it in the capacity I would like, but I can definitely do it in some ways. And it started right. to build. And now just recently in April, it built into a business. So That's awesome. as of this month, I will have income for the first time in like six years. Wow. Congratulations. Talk about it. Thank you. That's cool. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So how did that come about? Like, so you got a business started out of all this. Yes. In a pandemic. I was like, are you right. freaking kidding me? <laughs> We, I had been thinking about, you know, you'd talk to people and I would just, I'm like, God, there's information though. Like there's resources for these people and just no Mm -hmm. one put it together. They can't access it on their own. No one can scroll. People can barely read. Um, And so I would lay there feeling like shit, like daydreaming about like all the things, like all the solutions to these problems. And so I met Natasha and she's a very similar minded person. She runs symphony rehab here and she's just this amazing physical therapist and very ambitious and very um, compassionate. And so we started talking about kind of more things that we would create, but it was really limited to, I still couldn't do it. Like Mm -hmm. even just with Instagram and my rehab, I would, and like bathing and getting dressed and feeding myself. I was maxed. Um, so eventually we started kind of last October planning what's now called Concussion Compass. And it's a membership community um, where people have everything in one spot. So they have um, what we consider like our Netflix for concussion. They have mm-hmm. all these mini courses where it's we've done the research for them. We've compiled it into these simple, easy to follow videos with handouts where we talk them through all these things. Um, we put a movement and breath library in there with movements and meditations from people who've gone through it or treated it. Yeah. which is pretty cool. And we have all the resources and doctor locators and kind of everything in there. And then we also have a mentorship piece wow. where we hop on with them and kind of guide them through it. And yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. It's called Concussion Compass. We just launched in April. Um, cool. Kind of like another thing for National Concussion Awareness Day in September, but it's just been really cool. So we're hoping to get the resources in the hands of the people who need it. So mm-hmm. they actually recover quicker instead right. of taking six years to find right. I know. Yeah, <laughs> the right well, person like I did. I'll put the link to that in the show notes for anyone that's listening. It, um, Molly, is that, is that mostly for uh, patients or is it a, there's a clinician component to it at all? Or Right now it's for plan? patients. It's for any of your patients that are four weeks out and it's meant to be supportive to rehab. So it doesn't take mm-hmm. the place of one-on-one therapy and we hope that it'll help clinicians where when you have these cases where there's multiple things you need to work on and you also, you want to do that with that person, but they also really need help with aerobic exercise or planning or pacing. Then you kind of, you can then send them to us and we'll work with them. So you can do what you do best. We kind of take care of the rest. And then we have a practitioner partnership program where they can offer 50% off their the first month to their patients and have that as a resource. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then in September, we'll be opening up a little more, for practitioners yeah okay to be, to be determined yeah so are you like are you guys going to do like con ed for practitioners or is there it gonna be something else because what i'm i am dying for natasha to do a con ed like court like series of courses because yeah. she's so stinking good I'm mm-hmm. like, people just like no one puts it together that i've seen the way she yeah. does yeah. um like you gotta teach people this because it's so 
Yeah. So helpful. Um, so eventually we will do that, but right now compass and kind of the things mm -hmm. that we're doing is pretty much our focus. We're going to be opening up a couple more things in September. Okay. Um, that'll give access to clinicians and family a little bit more. Awesome. So we had some family members trying to sneak into the program. Yeah. Cool. For like <laughs> a, for someone out there who's like a, a man, I'm a clinician. I need to go like learn something about this right now. Is there a resource or place that you should point, you could point someone to for physical therapy who is like, I need to go learn more about, you know, like even just the basics of getting started treating concussions, if not like something else, like where did Natasha get her training from? Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where everyone should be able to identify the concussion. Mm -hmm. So it's whether it's an acute or the prolonged case, you want to be able to identify it. So there's a lot of great kind of starter courses. Um, there's some on MedBridge that are pretty yeah. cheaply priced, great intro courses that are taught from the gals at UPMC, uh, the PTs there that are good. Um, there's shift management has a good starter concussion course. Um, complete concussion management has a good starter course. And um, forgetting one neuro 360 is that what it's called something 360 has good vestibular ones yeah um those are all kind of like places to dip your toe in and see you know get the basics get where you can identify these people and at least filter them to the right place because that's half the battle and then if you're into it then you can start to dive in a little bit more and start to learn how to treat some of the simple prolonged cases and then some of the more mm -hmm. complex ones yeah you can awesome. go pretty deep down the rabbit hole Let's just say, for some reason, someone who's not a PT is listening to my podcast, but they mm -hmm. had a concussion. What's the first thing that they should do? So the first thing you should do is get evaluated. Um, or, I mean, if you're in a dangerous situation, please remove yourself from that situation. <laughs> but kind of all those things aside, you want to get in for an evaluation within the first 24 to 48 hours. And if you're having anything that we would term in like red flags where mm -hmm. you're vomiting or your symptoms are deteriorating, or perhaps you had it by a traumatic means, like you had a car accident or something mm -hmm. like that, we want to get you in right away, get you checked out, make sure that we're just dealing with a concussion and that we don't have a brain bleed or a skull fracture or anything like that on top of it. Yeah. Um, they're resting for about 24 to 48 hours and then concussions are now an active recovery. So the days of do nothing or rest in a dark room are over. Mm -hmm. And it is now after that 48 hours, you can begin to do what you're able below your symptom threshold, which basically means you can do what you like um, as long as you're not making symptoms worse or putting yourself in another situation to get a second concussion before the first is healed. Um, we recommend people do that with a healthcare provider. So they slowly guide you back into physical and cognitive activity safely. And then usually about you know seven to 14 days, symptoms go away. And then we say, you know, you still can't be in a situation where you get mm -hmm. a concussion because the symptoms resolve before the brain has healed, which mm -hmm. is super, super important. So I'm going to say that again. The symptoms resolve before the brain has fully healed. So then you're looking at another three to four weeks till the brain fully heals. We put them through a battery of tests where we're really challenging the brain to make sure no symptoms arise. And if they pass all those, then they are considered recovered and released back into the wild. Basically. Right. How many, what percentage of people with a concussion actually recover in that four to six week window? About 70 to 80%. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pretty good. I yeah. Mean, so yeah. I suspect that'll go up once we get acute management a little bit yeah. better, but right now about 70 to 80. How do we get the acute management better? 
So we want to, so they go through the process that we just described rather mm -hmm. than blowing it off or, you know, like we both went to the ER and then we're just yeah. like went on our way. Yeah. You actually want to guide people back in appropriately. So you're yeah. managing from the get go, you're instructing the appropriate amount of rest versus activity. And then if they're symptomatic after 10 days, we start to proactively treat them as if they're going to be someone that develops these prolonged mm -hmm. symptoms. And then we start matching them to specific treatment based on the symptoms they're experiencing. Yeah. Is that something that like to change that? Is that a hospital? Is that the emergency room urgent care center domain? Is that something that as physical therapists we change or is it somewhere else that has I to really pull that? I feel lever? like it's an all hands on deck. Yeah. So I think culturally it needs to change where when people have these types of injuries, they take them seriously and get into care or like on a sports team that they feel like their teammates are going to support them um, mm -hmm. is important. And then like, you know, our ERs and our urgent care, but then also places that people trickle into like physical therapy office, or even like, you know, they go get a massage because their neck kind of right. hurts. Um, everyone kind of needs to be able to understand how to recognize the signs and symptoms so that they can get treatment early on. Cause kind of, you know, we mm -hmm. say the earlier, the better, but also it's never too late. Yeah. So right on. Cool. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, I got a couple more questions uh, for you. Getting your business started, what's, I would, I want to say, aside from like having the energy and focus uh -huh. to do it, which, you know, is what's the, been the most challenging piece and what's been the most uh, rewarding piece? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, getting it started just to start to see all these things that I'd had in my head out into like an actual structured program mm -hmm. and being able to talk to people and them saying like, you know, I have this headache and then they're telling me I'm going to have it for the rest of my life, but it starts in the morning or it's, I'm okay in the morning and then about three o'clock it gets bad. And then I go to bed and I wake up and it's better. I'm like, Oh my God, that's a post-concussive headache. So now I can like send them directly to what's going to help them. So that's yeah. been super rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, it's given me a little bit of a sense of, I wouldn't say purpose again, because I've worked through a lot of that identity stuff, yeah. but it's just given me a, I don't know, sense of like a whole journey had meaning. Yeah. Right. Um, and then as far as the struggles, I had zero business in PT school, like at all. So I'm kind of learning everything as I go. So figuring out like tech stuff, um, just a lot of like the back end business things. Mm -hmm it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So half the time, I'm not sure what questions to ask because I'm not even aware of what I'm unaware of. Right. So she's a great, she's got a good business mind. She was 2017 entrepreneur of the year for Canada. Uh -huh. So we've been working together on that, but it's been the back end and like the tech and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Is there um, any question that I haven't asked you yet that you think would be valuable for our listeners? think so i just think it's important for clinicians to know that these things are treatable and pts mm -hmm. can make a massive impact um yeah. for these people that's awesome well, yeah thank you that's yeah welcome. yeah awesome perfect <laughs> i mean we're both pts and we gotta say pts are great yeah there's some things that we're not really <laughs> good at great, yeah <laughs> pt is great we're not really good at some other stuff um yeah. but yeah i mean i get it and, and thank you for sharing that because i think it is um you know, when I look back on my life, I'm like, oh, that, there are a couple times where, like, I interacted with people, not just for, uh, you know, concussion, but like, 
my neck and shoulder where like mm -hmm. they could have, I, I could have gone down a different, better path that would have gotten me better faster had yeah. it been me seeing myself. Yeah. Hindsight's 2022. Oh, it's always 20. I look back <laughs> now and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like I was so yeah. cognitively not there. Or even I look back at a couple patients and I'm like, I missed that. Yeah. Like, yeah. or, you know, I still treated the things I knew how to treat, but they were having these other things that now I would have been like, you should have gone to vision therapy. Right. Um, right. You know, well, we can only get better part of the one game, step huh? at, one step at a time. Yeah, so. exactly. That's really awesome. Well, Molly, if someone wants to um, come find you on Instagram, Facebook, or somewhere on the internet, what's mm -hmm. the best place for them to um, get in touch with you? Uh, Instagram is best, but I'm also on Facebook at Molly Parker PT. And then Concussion Compass is www.concussioncompass.com. Um, and so we're doing some fun things come September. So keep your awesome. eyes out and we'll have lots of free opportunities for people. And yeah. Cool. Well, give yeah. me a shout out in September when you guys yeah. launch the uh, program. And if we're recording now, it's probably actually going to be within a week or two. So yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect timing. <laughs> It'll be about good timing. So yeah. Um, well, Molly, thank you for spending time with us today. I know it's like not easy. You've got a busy schedule and a lot of things. So I appreciate you uh, spending time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, this is the Cash PG Lunch Hour. This is Aaron LeBauer and Molly Parker. And we'll see you on the next show. But if you forget that you listen to this show, come back and listen to this show again because sometimes I just forget <laughs> stuff. And it may not be because I hit my head. It might just yeah. be my personality. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks, Molly. Appreciate it.